ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hello and welcome to The World Today. It's Wednesday the 21st of February. I'm Sally Sara coming to you from Gadigal Land in Sydney. Today, pay bump. The latest wage price data shows Australian pay packets are growing at the fastest rate in years. But will it increase inflation? And solar power expansion. Concerns that some regional residents could be left behind. At the moment, the both state and federal governments are doing a huge amount to try and support large-scale uh, solar farms, wind farms, but the support for households with rooftop solar, uh, let alone batteries, is actually steadily being scaled back. First today, after mounting pressure over alleged price gouging and squeezing suppliers, Woolworths Chief Executive Brad Banducci has suddenly announced his retirement. But the Woolworths board denies that Mr Banducci's early exit has anything to do with him walking out on a Four Corners interview, which was aired earlier this week. Here's an excerpt of that interview with ABC reporter Angus Grigg. It is an incredibly competitive market. The risk people have is... I'm sorry, the former head of the Competition Commission says... His words are... Retired, by the way. I I don't think you would impugn his integrity and his understanding of competition law. I'm just saying the world has got much more competitive. He retired 18 months ago. He's not... Okay, let's... Can we take that out? Is that okay? I I mean, he he is retired, but I, I shouldn't have said that. Angus, are, you, are we going to leave it in there if we are? Well, I mean, it, it, we're on the record. You said it. I mean, you know, let's let's move on. But yeah, yeah, no, um, I'm, I think I'm done, guys. Uh, you know, right, I, right, I, I do right, this right. with good intent. You know, I don't do this with bad intent. Uh, Wait, you're walking out, really? No, no, no. Can we just talk to no, Brad no, for a second? Well, for more on this, I was joined a short time ago by the ABC's senior business correspondent Peter Ryan. Peter, did Mr. Banducci's retirement come as a surprise? Well, Sally, Woolworths shareholders were certainly surprised. Woolies shares dived almost 8% in late morning trade. An untested CEO coming in to replace Brad Banducci, though Amanda Bardwell is a Woolies insider. But the expectation had been that Brad Banducci would hang in there, take the company through the supermarket price inquiry and keep fielding the flack. As we know, Mr Banducci has had a bumpy ride over Woolies' decision not to sell Australia Day paraphernalia earlier this year. Also this week when Mr Banducci walked away from that Four Corners interview when reporter Angus Grigg challenged him on a sledge against former ACCC chairman Rod Sims. But this morning on a conference call with journalists, Mr Banducci was doing his best to be upbeat. He denied that uh, a rough week or that interview had anything to do with it. He'd been CEO for eight years after all, but he did say he had the option of deferring his retirement to later in the year, but he decided it wouldn't be authentic, though he did concern he hadn't dodged every bullet, suffering a few slings and arrows which took their toll. It would be fair to say uh, the board was flexible if I wanted to defer it given recent events, Uh, and I did consider that for a moment, but uh, judge me as you might, uh, hopefully authentic is a word that will be used, and I felt uh, we have a plan, and the best thing was to stick to the plan, and so Uh, It did occur to me to delay, but actually that wouldn't have been authentic and right. And so uh, it was uh, a collective call uh, from all of us, but in particular with me uh, involved. 
to make the announcement today. And and I, I believe in I do believe in the circle of life. Um, it's eight years since I got this privilege, and kind of felt right to close that circle the way it started. It's outgoing Woolworths CEO Brad Banducci speaking to reporters, including the ABC's Peter Ryan. Peter, the Woolworths chairman was also on that call. Did he give any insight into whether Mr Banducci might have been given a bit of a push? Well, as you can imagine, this was a, a big question on that call, but Woolies chairman Scott Perkins was emphatic when I asked him about the retirement of Brad Banducci, but he said it had been in train for some time. A global search firm had been appointed in the second half of last year and a number of candidates had been interviewed and the timeline of Mr Banducci's exit had not been affected by current events. So what do consumers think? Reporter Alison Zhao hit the street of Sydney for reaction to Mr Banducci's early exit. I think it's good news because um, basically since Australia Day when he brought himself to the front of the public it's been pretty much all downhill for him. How he became a chief executive of a company this size is beyond my belief. I saw it in the news yesterday, I think on TikTok, he stormed out of a meeting. Do you think the CEOs of the major supermarket chains do have a responsibility in keeping prices down for customers? A hundred percent because you know not everyone can afford everything. Yeah definitely I mean you shouldn't pay nine dollars for a, a capsicum. <laughs> um, yeah no I think we do have a responsibility to make sure that we can all like happily live and feed ourselves and not feel like we're struggling. They have to protect the interests of the shareholders and I think that's their main objective. They're adding their margins onto the end of their costing. So they love it. If there's a price rise, that means their profit's got to go up. Got to stop. That's what I'm hoping. The price come down and you can afford and everything is affordable. So, And they're paying the right amount to the farmers as well because I think they get exploited. So, yeah. Hopefully they do the right thing for other people as well. That's some uh, consumers this morning. And Peter Ryan Woolworths has also announced its half-yearly profit this morning. It almost sounds like that was overshadowed. Uh, yes, Sally, important numbers, but as you say, a bit of a sideshow. Woolworths reported a statutory loss of $781 million in the six months to December. So some challenging conditions, but this was mainly because of a write-down in Woolies New Zealand grocery business and a $209 million reduction in the value of the Endeavour Group, the alcohol and liquor outfit that Woolies used to own. Brad Banducci's last set of profits numbers, but not the ones he'd like to go out on. That's our senior business correspondent, Peter Ryan, there. Workers' pay packets are now growing at their fastest pace in 15 years. The latest official data show wages grew 0.9 of a percent in the three months to December, leading to an annual increase of 4.2 percent over 2023. Analysts say the main reason for the pay bump is that bosses are handing out bonuses and wage rises in order to retain staff. But there are also warnings that higher wages growth could increase the chances of another Reserve Bank interest rate hike. Our reporter David Taylor has more. 55-year-old Bendigo-based Alex Cunnington loves her job working in administration. I'm perfectly happy in the job that I'm in. And she's happy to do what's necessary to keep her office working well. One day, her boss noticed the extra effort. Oh, well, the last one was just a bit of a surprise. I got my pay slip and there was extra money in there and I 
realised that I'd got a pay rise. I rang him about it and he said, oh, I was giving you a pay rise. Uh, if I can ask, um, what, what did you do extra to, to get that extra pay rise? Uh, just since I've started the job, I've taken on extra duties and that in different areas to help them out. Did you Were you asked to do the extra duties or you saw things that needed to be done and, and thought, oh, I'll do them? Yeah, more I saw things that needed to be done and thought I can help out with that and offered my help. Official data show Alex Cunnington is one of many workers with fatter pay packets. Bureau of Statistics data today show wages growing at an annual pace of 4.2%, the highest pace of growth since the global financial crisis. ANZ Bank senior economist Adelaide Timbrell says a large chunk of pay rises are now matching the increase in inflation. So what we saw in, say, 2018 or 2019 is that 5-10% to 10% of pay rises that happened each quarter were 4% or more and the rest of them were, you know, nothing or up to 3%. These days, though, 40% of a pay rise that happens in a quarter uh, at at its peak uh, over the last year has been above 4%. The Australian Industry Group represents employers from a range of industries across the country. CEO Innes Willocks agrees bosses are handing over more cash to workers and a lot of it isn't being picked up in the official data. But what we're seeing more and more are increases that are that are occurring within workplaces. So uh, employers, both for reasons of retention but also as reward, uh, are paying employees uh, more either as one-offs, as bonuses, or just as or as wage increases, uh, and that's part of what is occurring within workplaces now. The minutes from the Reserve Bank's February board meeting show the bank is looking closely at the recent bump in wages growth. Innes Willocks warns higher wages will inevitably lead to higher inflation, and RBA Governor Michelle Bullock and the board hiking interest rates again. It's getting to the point where Michelle Bullock's going to have to stand on rooftops with a foghorn and tell people that wage increases well above the current inflation rate are are inflationary and will prolong the economic pain that we have. So we, we have to be mindful of where inflation is at now, but also where inflation is trending and where the government expects it to be and the Reserve Bank and Treasury expect it to be. And that's um, that's coming down. So we need to look to the future and have an expectation that inflation is coming down, not going up, and we need to moderate our wage expectations around that, as difficult as it might be in a current cost of living crisis. The peak union body disagrees. In a statement, ACTU Secretary Sally McManus told The World Today, quote, Big business will use any excuse to stop working people from getting a pay rise. She added that arguing that our lowest earners should take a hit for interest rates to fall is just more debunked nonsense from big business and ordinary people see through that. But economist Adelaide Timbrell says the latest wages data will worry the RBA. And that there is that shift in bargaining power towards employees. This is going to be a bit of a concern for the Reserve Bank, who uh, have seen really great data on inflation lately. But by seeing this wage growth, they are going to be perhaps increasing their tightening bias in the way they talk doesn't necessarily mean we'll see another rate rise, but it does add to that risk. The Reserve Bank will be eyeing next week's monthly inflation data for more evidence of inflationary pressures in the economy. That's David Taylor.
You're listening to The World Today and don't forget you can catch the podcast version of the show online every day. Well, the Royal Australian Navy is pushing ahead after yesterday's release of a major review of its surface fleet. The federal government announced it will spend billions of dollars on new warships as China's maritime power increases. So what is the current capability of the Chinese Navy? Dr Malcolm Davis is a senior analyst in defence strategy and capability at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. The PRC, the Chinese, have the world's largest navy in terms of overall battle force of over 370 ships and submarines. It's larger than the US Navy in terms of capabilities. They're also rapidly producing large numbers of advanced uh, naval service combatants, cruisers, destroyers, frigates, as well as submarines, building aircraft carriers, amphibious warfare vessels. So we have a very good idea of what the Chinese Navy have. What does Australia's capability look like up against an enormous naval power like China? When you look at Australia's naval capability, I think you do have to see it within the context of a coalition operation. You know, the most likely scenario being a Taiwan Straits crisis where the United States goes in to assist Taiwan and calls on us to support it. So it would be a coalition involving the US, Australia, Japan and, and maybe some others. But if you look at uh, Australia's Navy by itself, obviously we're a lot smaller, even with this latest fleet review. There is no way that we could take on the Chinese Navy by ourselves. We could could do damage, but we would ultimately be defeated. And, you know, the scenario where the Chinese would send their entire Navy down to Australia is, is not credible. So I think we need to place any analysis of strengths of the Australian Navy versus the Chinese Navy in that realistic context of what's the operational context, what's the scenario we're talking about. We have had a series of change decisions, uh, cost blowouts and problems and delays with our shipbuilding for the Royal Australian Navy. What do we know about how effective the industrial complex is behind the Chinese Navy that's building the ships and developing the technology? Extremely effective. You know, you've got an authoritarian state that is not answerable to the people. And so the, the state, the regime can just make decisions and direct resources, people, money to get a capability developed. And so when you look at China's uh, shipbuilding capability, they're the largest in the world. They're producing ships at, at a rapid rate. One of their lead naval vessels, the Renhai class cruiser, which is the most powerful cruiser in the world with 112 missile cells on board. That Ren high-class cruiser, they're producing eight simultaneously. The other advantage that the Chinese Navy have is that unlike the US Navy, which have global responsibilities, Chinese Navy can focus their operations in, in the Indo-Pacific region. And they do have the advantage of concentration of numbers and concentration of force compared to the US and others. Does our strategic gap look like an opportunity for those who might want to take action? I think the biggest risk with the naval review that's just been announced is that nothing in the review that's going to be new capability doesn't appear until the 2030s. So what we will have is a, a decline in naval capability in the second half of this decade as the Anzac-class frigates age out, but we don't replace those frigates until probably the early 2030s. And the other challenge that we face is lack of firepower because all the ships we're looking at getting will have a very limited number of missile cells. So there's, there's a distinct lack of firepower in the Australian Navy compared to the sort of overwhelming firepower that we're seeing in the PLA Navy. So there's a real problem here emerging in terms of capability gap, firepower gap, and sheer numbers of service combatants. What are the weaknesses of the Chinese Navy? 
at this point in time, they're starting to address previous gaps in anti-submarine warfare. The Chinese Navy has not had a regular experience in conducting operations in the same way that the US Navy has or the Australian Navy. So they need to do training in realistic conditions. And of course, what they're training for is a Taiwan Straits crisis. So that's why you're seeing a lot of Chinese Navy activities across the Taiwan Straits in recent months and years. That's Dr Malcolm Davis there, Senior Analyst in Defence Strategy and Capability at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. The US has vetoed a UN security resolution that demanded an immediate humanitarian ceasefire in Gaza. It's the third time that the US has used its veto power to kill off a resolution calling for an end to the war. Instead, the US wants a temporary pause in fighting. Meanwhile, in Gaza, civil order has collapsed and aid deliveries to the north of the Strip have been suspended. Nicole Johnston has more. Before the war, Gaza's markets were full of food. The Strip was famous for its strawberries and dates. Now markets are largely empty and anything you find is super expensive. A kilo of sugar costs $30. And there's the daily indignity of waiting in line for hours just for bread. Heba al-Masubani fled from the north of Gaza to the south. I've been standing here since 4.30am. It's almost noon and it's still not my turn to get a bundle of bread. We come to the bakery because we don't have wood and everything to make bread is expensive. If bread is hard to come by, meat is impossible. From the town of Beit Hanoun to a tent in Rafa, this is Abdullah Al-Kafana. He's displaced and fed up. We have a shortage of food supplies. There's no beef, chicken or fish. All that's in the market are beans and lentils. People are tired of these things. There's no salt or sugar. Nothing is available. It's so bad the World Food Programme has stopped delivering aid to the north. In the midst of the chaos and the violence, Desperate Palestinians have raided food trucks. Law and order has broken down. In New York, international efforts to end the war immediately have failed. A resolution backed by Arab nations demanding an immediate ceasefire was vetoed by the United States. Instead, it's proposed its own resolution for a temporary ceasefire. So more debate and more delay. John Kirby is the US national security spokesman. He says the first resolution would jeopardise negotiations in Cairo for a temporary truce. We just weren't able to support a resolution today that was going to put sensitive negotiations uh, in peril. And that's what we believe this resolution would do. We are in the midst. In fact, Brett McGurk is travelling to the region as we speak. But Palestinians don't see it that way. Nora O'Day is a political analyst in the West Bank and explains why she thinks the demand for an immediate ceasefire failed. The UN Security Council has failed again because of one vote, uh, the American vote. 13 countries voted in favour and the US killed the resolution. It is advancing its own text, but I don't think that it is convincing to the other members of the Security Council. What was the US's problem with the resolution that came from Arab countries calling for an immediate ceasefire. They don't want references to international law as it relates to Israeli actions because that is a downward spiral, I think, that the US doesn't want to risk. In The Hague, the wheels of international law are turning. 
The International Court of Justice is debating the legality of Israel's military occupation of the Palestinian territories. That's the West Bank, Gaza and East Jerusalem. Israel doesn't recognise the World Court and denies all allegations against it. Vusimuzi Madonsela is South Africa's ambassador in the Netherlands. He addressed the court. It is clear that Israel's illegal occupation is also being administered in breach of the prohibition of the crime of apartheid. It is indistinguishable from settler colonialism, which has no place in the 21st century. Israeli apartheid must end. The international rhetoric is ratcheting up against Israel's war in Gaza, but Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister, is unshakable. There is a lot of pressure on Israel from home and abroad to stop the war before we achieve all of its goals, including a deal at any cost to release hostages. But we are not ready to pay any price. Egypt is still holding ceasefire talks. So far, they're going nowhere. That's Nicole Johnston. As the uptake of rooftop solar continues to surge, experts say its capacity could soon exceed coal, gas and hydro in the country's main grid. Almost 20 gigawatts of small-scale solar has already been installed across the national energy market. But advocates and energy experts say batteries will be crucial to harnessing the value of solar power. And it's feared that some regional and rural areas could be left behind in the transition unless there's more support. Gavin Coote reports. The proliferation of rooftop solar across the mid-north coast of New South Wales has been staggering for locals like Melissa Gowan. She and her partner own a solar and battery installation business based in the Kempsey area. More and more as well, we're seeing a lot of people upgrading their systems. Um, So they might have a system that's 10 years old and as their bills sort of go up, they think actually let's capitalise on the rebates while they're still on offer and upgrade to a better, newer system. Australia has long been touted as a world leader in the uptake of rooftop solar energy. And now a report from Green Energy Markets has found it's on its way to eclipsing the country's entire electricity demand in coming decades. The report's co-author is Tristan Edis. Rooftop solar already has a greater amount of installed capacity on the grid than coal. Now, it doesn't produce as much electricity as coal because coal's on all the time, whereas solar's obviously only generating when it's sunny. But nonetheless, that sort of gives you a a feeling for the scale it's already reached. And within 10 years, it will have reached a, a level of capacity that exceeds both coal, gas and hydro combined. The reports also found that poles and wires companies are getting better at accommodating solar, which means batteries are desperately needed to soak up the excess solar power. At the moment, both state and federal governments are doing a huge amount to try and support large-scale uh, solar farms, wind farms. You know, they're, they're, they're rolling out billions in, in transmission and, and also underwriting support. But the support for households with rooftop solar, um, let alone batteries, is actually steadily being scaled back. Experts also want changes in how the energy grid is governed. A report by the now disbanded Energy Security Board released early this month called for the nation's electricity market to better integrate solar users. Dr Bjorn Sternberg from the ANU's Battery Storage and Grid Integration Program says that it'd have a number of benefits. If we're going to have a system that relies so heavily on rooftop solar, as we already do, then it is going to be an imperative that um, some data is provided up 
to the grid operator so they can continue to balance supply and demand of electricity at every moment of the day. And that has two parts to it. The first is visibility to just have a sense of what they're doing. And then if we really go into this future of having a quarter of our power generated by rooftop solar, um, then we'll also need the grid operator to have some level of control or someone in the, the electricity system as a whole for there to be some level of control um, to be able to say, okay, actually, we can't handle this much solar at this particular moment. While there might be some way to go to ensure there's a smooth transition, solar and battery installer Melissa Gowan can only see demand growing, particularly in regional areas. I think the enthusiasm for batteries is increasing despite price still being a little bit prohibitive. We're definitely seeing a lot of properties that typically, you know, people that five or 10 years ago might not have seen solar as something of interest to them are now looking at putting big systems in and putting batteries in so that regardless of what's happening, whether it's fires, floods, electricity outage from other reasons, even at our property, we've had three blackouts in the past week and a half with all our neighbours. We've all been encountering really regular blackouts this summer, but also, you know, we're on a rural property. So if we don't have power, we don't have water. And if the fires are coming, that becomes pretty crucial. So they're still able to keep their food cold and their businesses running and their livestock watered. So we're seeing a huge interest on that level as well. That's Kempsey business operator Melissa Gowan ending that report from Gavin Coote. And that's all from the World Today team. Thanks for your company. I'm Sally Sara. Stay safe. Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily Podcast. Imagine what could happen to the cost of your groceries if the big supermarkets were in a price war to win your business. With Coles and Woolies dominating the market, it's not going to happen. Why? Because they want to keep their profits as high as possible. Today for Corners reporter Angus Grigg on his investigation into the tactics of the two big players. Look for the ABC News Daily Podcast on the ABC Listen app.